Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello, I'm David Hepworth. Welcome to the latest in our series of Word podcasts for the festive season. Coming up, we've got a couple of numbers from the miserable rich. But first of all, continuing our Round Britain roundup of some of our key contributors, I've been talking to John Norton and Mark Hodkinson about the books, DVDs and records that have made the greatest impression on them this year. But first, I began north of the border with Graham Thompson. Good morning. How's the weather? Horrible. It's um, it's windy and wet and grey and um, fairly standard Edinburgh fair, I'm afraid. Okay. Let's start with your book of the year or your reading of the year. Well, the book I, I enjoyed the most and got, got the most out of and have already reread is um, The House of Silt by Anthony Horvitz. Um, and it's a new Sherlock Holmes novel. There have been a few... Uh, Holmes retreads over the years. This this is the first one that was fully endorsed by the Conan Doyle estate. And it's just a terrifically, ridiculously enjoyable read. I think for anyone who who loves those stories and loves those characters and loves the evocation of that particular time and place, um, you'll get an immense amount out of it. All all those characters are in there, Lestrade, Mycroft, Moriarty. Um, And it's just... It's played with a very a very straight bat, which I think is the way you have to do Holmes. You know, although it's kind of patently ridiculous and slightly tongue in cheek, um, Horowitz understands that you need to you need to treat these characters absolutely seriously. Um, and the thing I love about these books, and I suppose I'm not a Londoner, and I have a very a kind of outsider romantic view of that city, and uh, I, I love that sort of fog bound uh, Edwardian uh, romantic uh, vibe that that is conjured up in those books. And I think that. So any book or series that, that has a city as a character in itself always has legs and you can always return to and plug straight into that. And that's what he does. And I think, you know, you look at The Wire or Ian Rankin's Rebus in Edinburgh, they all understand that the city plays a part in it. And I just love that, that sense of, of kind of mystery that's conjured up in that. So that's the one I enjoyed the most. It may it's, not be the most... Sorry. It's interesting. I, I reread some old Sherlock Holmes recently and I found the plots ridiculous, but the background mm. absolutely gripping. You know, the idea of London and the, and the routine of the characters and so forth. I found enormously attractive. 
Absolutely. I think the plots are almost incidental, and as you say, they, they, they stretch belief way past breaking point. But um, it, it's, it's character-driven and it's atmosphere-driven, and, um, and he, really, he really gets that. So I mean, it's, it's, um, for anyone who, who, who enjoys or has enjoyed those books, um, I would recommend it thoroughly to so dive into it. What's that called again, The Silk Road? The House of Silk. The House of Silk. Anthony Horowitz. By Anthony Horowitz. Okay, how about a a, a DVD or a film that you've enjoyed particularly this year? Well, it's it's another another atmosphere-driven thing, really. And it's it's, um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which was, um, I think, just an amazing piece of work, partly because it was so slow and so atmospheric. And, and, um, I mean, I love Lucari. I love those books. they're all kind of about the uncertainties and inner yearnings of certain types of men. And I think this captured that. It understood that it was about the characters. The plot was kind of incidental. I know a lot of people who hadn't read the book didn't have a clue what was going on in that film. Um, but I think you could still just kind of wallow in the great performances um, and, and the whole atmosphere of that, that time and that kind of sense of unease and, and betrayal and, and these things going on and these people trying to desperately hold on to a certain way of life. Um, I'm not a big fan of plots. I think they kind of get get in the way almost of, <laughs> of the it's, acting. It's interesting you should say this because uh, Tinker Taylor, I read read in the book, and uh, and I remember the uh, Alec Guinness adaptation, and uh, recently listened to the Radio Four Complete Smiley, which is a wonderful mm. dramatization. And every time I come to these things, the plot is completely fresh to me because I actually don't remember. Mm. Any, any of the things that happened, I just wanted to. I want to be in the atmosphere. I want to revisit that atmosphere. It's interesting. Absolutely, and I, I think I find these days that in most books I read, I find the plot generally in the last third of any book, I find it it, it becomes deeply unsatisfying because you just it, it 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 has a sense of somebody trying to wrap too many things up. And um, I like these things that are quite open ended and. and uh, that are character-driven. So, I mean, I thought that, that he pulled that off really, really well in that film. And, the, you know, the, the lead performance by Gary Oldman, I think, is superb. Okay, so that's Tinker Tell the Soldier Spy. What about a record? My favourite record is Floriat by Mara Carlyle. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that record, but it's, it's, it's... I don't know, it seemed to me to show the possibilities of, of what can still be done with the album without seeming to try too hard or make too big a point about it. She's... Um, She's classically trained. She she throws all sorts of things into her music, jazz, English classical music, sort of vaudeville, electronica. Her songs have all these interesting points of departure, but you know, ultimately the music is, is just a direct product of who she is. And so, and what's her ba- what's her background? She's classically trained. She was in uh, she was in a band called Played, uh, who were on Warp Records, and she was in the Matthew Herbert big band. She played keyboards for Sophie Ellis Dexter. Um, she's done all these interesting things. She seems to be one of these people who likes to collaborate in all kind of different genres. Um, this is her second record, and it was, I think it was made in 2008. It was delayed. Uh, lots of kind of labyrinthine record industry uh, wrangles. It didn't come out till, till this year. Um, and so there's all these interesting things going on. She describes one song as Elizabethan ska. Um, but it's, there's a real poppy, playful a- aspect, a real kind of joie de vivre to the whole thing. It's not... It's not hard work, um, and there's Vaughn Williams in there next to Hot Chip. It's um, you know it sounds clever, but actually it's very natural and organic and playful, and it just sounds right. And it's just the record I've kept coming back to over and over again. There's so many things in there I think that you can get out of it, and uh, it's really enjoyable. I think, which is the main thing. So. And you found yourself able to just put it on and listen to the whole album. 
Well, that's it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's incredibly fresh. It's got so many things invested in it. It's, it's, it's again, I suppose it's very atmospheric. It changes, you know, changes mood from one song to the next, but it's got this, this thread of her creativity running through it. So it hasn't got that kind of um, gratuitous, eclectic thing that some people like like to do. You know, it's not. I don't think it has got an eye on on being too clever. Um, and it works, yeah, straight from from start to finish. So, okay, um, well, thanks very much for that, Graham, uh, and all your uh, recommendations. And have a good Christmas. And you, happy Christmas. That's Mara Carlyle, the choice of Graham Thompson uh, in Edinburgh. And now from Edinburgh, we move down to, to Yorkshire to uh, Mark Hopkinson. Good morning, Mark. Morning, David. And where are you exactly? I'm in a small town called Todmorden, which is uh, on the border with Lancashire. So uh, roughly between Leeds and Manchester, right in the heart of the Pennines. And it's a very wet and cold and frosty morning, actually. Not it's- pleasant at all. It's one of those places that uh, BBC traffic uh, reports tend to refer to as Todd Morden, don't they? Yeah, I love that, because we all have a good chuckle. It's actually Todd Morden, with, as you can imagine, apostrophe after the end, going to Den, so it's Todd Morden rather than Todd Morden. Absolutely. A good way to assist people out, actually, how, much, uh, how good their geography is. Right, so let's talk about your books of the year. What have you been reading this year? Um, with running for more, I spend a lot of time pouring over manuscripts or editing other people's works, and I realised, as I was thinking about this earlier, that I've not actually read many contemporary novels, certainly not this year. Um, one I did enjoy was Edna O'Brien's book of short stories called Saints and Sinners. I think with Edna, you always know what you're going to get, which is brilliantly written, really telling insights, um, just a really good writer. Um, and not new authors these days are not given the luxury of short stories because publishers generally don't feel that they sell collections of short stories. So you've got to find them. You've either got to uh, go by American, find American writers because they still believe in the genre over there, or read writers like Edna O'Brien. Another book I enjoyed, I'm, I'm, I'm massively into sport, obviously, and um, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but uh, the book by Paul Lake, a footballer that played for Manchester City in the, in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. Are you familiar with him? This is, the, this is uh, about how his, his career was pretty much ended by an injury, wasn't it, when he looked immensely promising and then it all fell away? Yeah, there was talk of him. Uh, I think he captained certainly the City U team and reserve team and came to the first team and, and was called up to a, an England training session by uh, Graham Taylor that was manager then. Incredibly promising footballer, um, a strong lad, a, a kind of a, a ball winner and someone could read the game. Anyway, he got an awful injury and the book just details 
what it's like to be injured. I mean, it's not really a sports book. It's about this relationship with hope where he's constantly dreaming of comebacks and you just know, obviously because most of us know the story anyway, but it's still absolutely heartbreaking and it's a can talk about it in, uh, under the skin of sport. It just shows you how devastating it can be because he's constantly uh, got this battle with, you know, hoping to return and then he's injured again and he's literally months and months in rehabilitation and then just on a simple training session he, he can't even run around the cones and it's it, 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 it's very honest. He, he suffered depression, and uh, it goes through all the. I mean, it's not. It's certainly not a happy read, but in terms of balancing the, the kind of general view of sport, it's absolutely fantastic. But. While we're talking about sports books, I read this year the Andre Agassi um, memoir. Is it called mm-hmm. Open? I think it is, and that starts with a with a devastating account of just. How how painful it is to be Andre Agassi. You know, it starts with him waking up in the morning on the final of a major tournament, and he has to sleep on the hotel floor because simply he can't be comfortable in any bed at all because his body is just so shattered by yeah. ten years of playing top class sport. Uh, we, we don't realise how fortunate we are not having that kind of talent. I suppose. So yeah, I, I interviewed Paul years ago for the times when he was on one of his comebacks, and he's a a very strong personality, and he was someone that I thought, well, you'll have a second chance because you'll either manage or you'll do something with your life. But the book ends, and I think he's he's, he's now an ambassador at Manchester City, where the, the kind of the meet and greet thing that they do. But he bailed out on sport altogether, and I was surprised at that. And the book, to me, doesn't really have a happy ending. I think we get used to that. That's the kind of narrative that instinctively we feel is going to come up but I still don't think his life is back on track all these years on and I think I'm not sure whether it helps that he's held in such regard at City and he can still be part of it because while you're reading it you feel like he must he should really divorce himself and you know from the sport and do do something else which I'm sure he's capable of doing he's a very intelligent lad so anyway what about something you've been uh, watching this year or the film or DVD that you particularly enjoyed my favourite, um, I've got two teenage sons, so I tend to um, veer towards films that we can watch together. It's just how the house works, I think. But one that uh, I really enjoyed was uh, The Way Back. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes, I've seen that. Go on, tell, explain that. It's a Peter Weir film, um, and it's based on a book that, when I was at school, I think we did two books. One was Kev, and the other was The Long Walk <laughs> by Slavimir Alex. I think I pronounced that correctly. And the book really lived with me because it's about this guy that escapes from a Siberian gulag and he walks 4,000 miles across Siberia um, through uh, over the Gobi Desert through all kinds of you know adventures and eventually arrives in India months and months later. It's been Peter Weir, the director, changed the plot and, and made it that it's now three, now about seven or eight people that escape from the gulag. <laughs> but it's just brilliantly shot and... Uh, it reminds me a lot of a film called Into the Wild, which was um, uh, directed by um, Sean Penn. And that's a story of a, a, a young lad called Christopher Candlemas who left home and did a similar kind of journey that he went through Alaska. I don't know whether it's just that I'm getting older, but this idea of um, long, walk, you know, walking a long way and getting away and escaping and just um, kind of this return to nature theme. I think I was... Because um, another book I've recently read, reread was um, The Shining Levels, which is uh, about a bloke that uh, returns to the Lake District and just lives in a, in a wood. 
Um, I, I don't know why this theme's developed, but it's, it's something that I'm really interested in. So that's the way back, Peter Weir film. And while we're talking about Peter Weir, if there's anybody who hasn't seen Master and Commander, um, that's that's the thing to buy for yourself for Christmas. That's that's the ideal thing to sit sit down, uh, particularly in a father's retreat, and watch Master and Commander. Do you, do you know that film? No, I've, I've I've read about it, but not uh, seen it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. Have you, any more films, Mark? No? Um, I enjoyed Submarine. I thought the music particularly was fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, that kind of study of childhood and adolescence, I don't think we do very often over here in uh, the UK. I think you've run out of ideas two thirds of the way through, but generally stood up and was interesting. I was thinking about the more stylized films, more the kind of obvious Hollywood ones, and Black Swan stood out for that. I don't think it was particularly a great story or. or you know, fantastic dialogue, but just as a piece of work and the constant tie editing and the whole size of the film, I think maybe very much of a... Okay, so what... On, a, go on. Um, Documentary-wise, I enjoyed Fire in Babylon, the, 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 the documentary about the West Indian cricket team, because I was a big... I still am a big cricket fan, and uh, it's interesting when you... Seen something as a child, and some of those cricketers were my heroes: Andy Roberts, Colin Croft, and then all the England team of that era: Bob Willis and uh, David Steele, Derek Randall. And then just to really have it deconstructed in such detail and properly peopled, rather than just viewed as a, as a game, which I did when I obviously watched on TV as a child, I found fascinating. It's very good. And the, the interesting thing I heard about it uh, subsequent to the release was that they actually interviewed the likes of Boycott and Botham. They interviewed the opposition and then didn't, didn't use any of it in the finished film. It didn't, didn't suit their narrative, didn't, didn't suit the film, the, the story they wanted to tell. Anyway, it's, it's certainly worth seeing. So what about a piece of music? Well, I've got three albums of the year because I couldn't really separate them. <laughs> um, they're all quite similar in a way, and I, can, I think it reveals my... Uh, Certainly, uh, kind of the new wave legacy, I suppose you call it, for want of a better description. I like the Vaccines album, um, just because it's so it's kind of like a huge engine that started up and really flubs away with some brilliant tunes. Reminds me of the Ramones, the Pixies, lots and lots of really good groups. And then a band from San Francisco called The Girls, and the album's called Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I don't know if you're aware of them, but it's uh, the main guy, Christopher Owens. His parents were a member of the San Francisco cult, so he's had this, I think they're called Children of God. I think he's obviously had a very strange childhood, and there's lots and lots of things gone into the music. It's it's dark and it's light and it's experimental, but also tuneful. And my third album, uh, Joint joint Top, is The Horrors Skying, which again is um, the, the kind of uh, alternative college rock legacy, but redone, I suppose, and... Uh, yeah, that's really Mark, thanks very much for talking to us. Have a lovely Christmas. And you, David. Thanks a lot.
You have been listening to the free feed of the Word podcast. The full album-length version is only available to subscribers to the magazine. To sign up and to hear the rest of this podcast, go to www.wordpodcast.co.uk. (laughs) 